just because they're so good looking, can I ask all the dads to quickly stand again? We just want to pray for you. Why don't you stretch out your hand to a dad near, close to you, and let's just pray for them. Father, we thank you for fathers, and we know ultimately we celebrate fathers because you're a father. And we thank you for men in this community that is, does such a faithful job of representing you, not only to their own families, but to even other families. And we want to thank you for them, Lord, and we honor them, and we bless them, and we pray that today they will just experience how much they're valued and loved by you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Gents, you're welcome to take your seats. We'll be busy with our series entitled Ready for More, where we're talking about the principles of stewardship and applying it in different places in our lives. And today, being Father's Day and being Youth Day together is a fantastic time to talk particularly about how we we steward our relationships for God's purposes and how our relationships is such an important thing that we steward. And I I, want to say, I think it's the most important thing that we will steward. I know last week we spoke about money, and money in terms of stewardship gets very real, and it shows so much of who we are, and it's such a great communicator of our heart is how we use our money. But really when we want to steward things that belong to God, relationships are always central to that. So that's what we're going to talk about today about relationships. But let me remind you, first of all, and perhaps you haven't been with us, that our little tagline for this series is, God owns, I manage. Do you want to say that with me? One, two, three. God owns, I manage. And that's just the principle, the DNA of what it means to be a steward. The DNA of stewardship is understanding this and applying it in every area of our life. That God, everything belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24, everything in the earth and everyone who dwells in it belongs to the Lord. Everything is His. And the steward understands that. Now, stewardship was an official title in the Old Testament. Some people were officially made stewards, like Joseph that we spoke of. And um, if we look at some of these principles of, of their lives and what an office in a kingdom of a steward was, then it helps us to also understand our role of stewardship. A, a steward was a person who is appointed by the ruling king to pre- represent him in a country, to manage the king's property, to do the king's bidding, and to govern in his name. So that's what a steward did. And that's what we do, is it not? As the children of God, we are appointed to be representatives of the king, to manage his property, to do his bidding, to do his will, and to govern in his name. Now, for us to be able to do this, God did something specific with every human being, and that is that he made us in his image. The reason you and I can be stewards of that which belongs to God and why we can say God owns, I manage, is because we were made in his image. We are unlike anything else you will find in creation, that we represent God. And it makes sense that when you're going to ask somebody to steward things on your behalf, they have to have the ability to represent you. They have to be like you in some ways. I mean, let's think about it. When we send somebody from our nation to go and represent South Africa overseas, whether it's our cricket players, whether it's our... uh, uh, our, uh, yeah, they won yesterday, yeah. <laughs> uh, whether it's an ambassador, they have to be like us. They have to re- feel like us and represent us in some way. I mean, you cannot be abroad and be a South African and tell people you're a South African, but you don't like Budavos, you don't eat Biltong, you don't eat Pop, 
You don't drink rooibos tea. You don't love cook sisters. You cannot be us. Amen? In some way, you know, that's who we are. We, we support Bafana Bafana. We support the Springboks. We support the Proteas. We support, you know, Banyana Banyana. We support our teams because we South Africans. And that's us. And so it is when God says, I made you in His image. We go forth. We, he made us in His image. We go forth and we are like Him. We represent Him. And because we represent Him, we can steward things on His behalf. As an image bearer, He has appointed us to represent Him on earth. To reflect His image and to replicate His image throughout the earth. He has also created us in His image that we would subdue the earth and rule over it. That, you would, that we would manage His creation, not to our ends, but for His purposes. That's what He did. When God made Adam and Eve and He breathed life into them. And He said, let us make man in our own image. And then He said, it's only to Adam and Eve that God could have said, will you take care of my creation? God cannot say that to anybody else because nobody else was made in His image. No, as majestic as the elephants are, as powerful as the lions are, as hardworking as the ant is, as gracious as a fish is in the sea, none of them can manage God's creation. Only we can because we were made in His image. And unfortunately, that's where we can also see how far we have fallen from it. How big we missing the point. I mean, just look at our earth. Look at our planet. If we've been given this task by God to be stewards of that which belongs to Him, the earth is not ours. It's our planet. It's where we dwell, but it belongs to God. Are we doing a good job of managing the earth on His behalf? Would we be proud at this point in time if God came and walked among us here to say, Lord, here's the earth, you know, like the, like the one talent, two talent, five talent person. Who are we in that story? We're definitely not the five that says, here's your earth, your planet back. It's better than what you gave it to us. That's what's the idea. When God made the Garden of Eden, He gave it to Adam and Eve and He said, you improve on what I did. You make it better. I've given you the ability as my image bearer to represent me to this garden and to bring more order even than what I gave to this garden. But I think we would be embarrassed today with all the plastic in the oceans, with our forests that are being destroyed, with the species that are dying out. We would be embarrassed at this point in time to say, God, here's the planet. We've taken care of it. And why have we done such a bad job? We understand from the biblical narrative that it's because of what happened in that garden that God gave to man to say, come and be the custodians, be the caretakers, that we then decided we want ownership of the garden. We're not happy to care for it on God's behalf. We want to own the garden. And that's essentially what happened when man, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And why God had to remove them from the garden is because they said, we want to own the garden. And today we live on this planet and we behave as, we are the, as if we are the owners of everything. And it's about us. We use the resources because it's about us. The way we relate to one another, the way we behave towards one another is we behave as if it's about me. I own. 
And sometimes we will call on the name of the Lord and we'll ask Him to help us to manage what belongs to us. But really the problem became that we thought everything belongs to us. And because we are a broken people, we're a sinful people, we're a rebellious people, we are just doing to this planet what would naturally happen if it belonged to us. We don't have the strength, we don't have the capacity on our own to deal with this planet in the way it should be dealt with. And we are causing so much damage. But so much of the damage of this planet is not just because we are directly influencing the planet. It's because we are first of all at war with one another. We are at odds with each other as human beings. We are at odds with ourselves. Me as an individual, I'm at odds with myself. There's a war being fought inside of me. There's good and evil all happening right here. And and it's all being wrestled in here. Then we are at, at odds with one another. And it's been the story of human existence since we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We saw immediately the genders were separated in terms of their unity and their love and honor for one another. Men and women began to strive and be at odds with each other. Then we saw in their children two brothers being at odds with each other. And then we saw nations being divided and being at odds with one another. And races and people groups. And the longer we seem to exist as human beings, the more reasons we find to divide. And to be at odds with one another. To be fighting with each other. And in Romans, it speaks about this and it says in in Romans, sorry, where did my verse go now? Um, Romans 8.19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Right now, the creation, all of this world is burdened by us. By our struggle, by our warfare, our inner warfare, our external warfare. That this creation is all being burdened. Because those of us that have been given the power and the authority to be the image bearers of God are no longer His image bearers. We are bearing our own image. We want what we want. And now we are tearing each other apart and in that we are tearing this planet apart. And as good as we try to be, as hard as we try to work to restore, we fail. We seem to be able to work at something on the one hand and get it a little bit better here, but then on the other place we do worse. And the more technologically advanced we become, the cleverer we become. We solve some problems, but we create a whole set of new ones. Because we are the ones at fault. The animals didn't lose what they were created for. The plants didn't lose. The the rocks didn't. We were the ones that moved away from our original calling and plan. And so everything is burdened by us. But God has a plan. God has a plan to bring everything back to its original state, to bring everything back to the place that He intended for it to be, to live in His creative grace and power. But because we are the image bearers, that plan has everything to do with us. God cannot restore this planet without us. That was the covenant He made with us when He created Adam and Eve, and He said, made them in my image. And He said to us, we have the responsibility, we have the authority. Therefore, God cannot change this planet and restore without us. 
We are integral to the process. And so God established His way. And in, in, in Acts 17, I, I don't have a slide for this, so if you, if you don't mind, if you have a device or a scripture, a Bible, just turn to Acts 17 with me if you don't mind. Such a valuable portion of scripture. Luke writes, and he captures for us a little bit of the history of the narrative of all of creation. In Acts 17 verse 24, if you don't have a device that you can follow with, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and, and please just follow with me as I read this. He writes, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Everything belongs to Him. He made this world and everything in it belongs to Him. Since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. God didn't create this heaven and this earth because He was bored or lonely or needed something. He made this heaven and earth so that He could love so that he could extend who he is. He's complete within himself. He's, he's everything he needs is within Father, Son, Holy Spirit, within the Trinity. But he wanted to love, so he created. But we cannot mold a place for him to live in. In other words, he is not dependent on us. We are dependent on him. We live in his house. He can't live in our house. This earth belongs to the Lord. We are living in his house. It's his home. We've moved into his home. We are not building a home for him. We're living in his home, in his house. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Creation works when God is in the midst of it, because he is the, he's the beginning and the end of, of everything. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. Sorry, verse 26. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. One man, God said. In that one man is the seed of all people. And God allowed multiplication and said to Adam and Eve, Go forth and multiply, inhabit the earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God. And perhaps, I love this sentence, and I'm going to explain it just now a little bit better. And perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. This is the purpose that God made heaven and earth for, is that we can know Him. That every human being, He created in His image, that carries something of who God is, can come back to Him and know Him. And feel their way towards God. That every nation may feel their way towards Him. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Though He is not far away from any of us. The reason we have to look for Him and find Him is not because He's far away. It's because something got lost. And we don't quite know how to find Him. But in Him we live and move and exist. Even though we've, we've, we've lost him and, and we don't know quite how to find him, we still live and breathe and everything we do is because of him and exists in him, in the potential and the place that he gave us to exist in. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Verse 29, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So Luke tells us a little bit in, in Acts here. He records for us God's journey, His purpose with history. 
And up until the point where they are now in the New Testament, and he's, he's writing this in the context of the New Testament church, and what is the job of the New Testament church, of the people of the New Testament? He says, this is why we are here. And what he does is he says to us, you may have forgotten what God, who God is, but through the church, people are going to be reminded who God is. Let me use this example. How many of you at night, in the dark, you've slept perhaps for a bit, and then in the middle of the night you wake up and you look for something, but you don't switch the lights on, you just feel on your bedside table? How many of you go, have done that? How many of you have knocked over a glass of water while you're doing that? I was stung by a bee once while doing that. That was a nice way to wake up. Feeling for something and then pff, next minute I'm stung by a bee. It happens to me all the time. I wake up in the middle of the night and, and, then, and then I feel. First, I, I feel for my, I don't want to wake the touch up, so I don't switch the light on. I feel for my glasses. They're normally lying on my bedside table like that. And then I'm, I'm feeling and then, and then eventually I, I go, there's my glasses. And then I put my glasses on and then I feel for my phone. Where's my phone? Because I want to see what the time it is. And then I go, oh, praise God, I've got two more hours of sleep. <laughs> or, oh no, it's only 10 minutes and I have to wake up. But I can feel in the dark and recognize my glasses and my phone because I've felt them before. I'm very familiar with them as items. I know what they feel like. I know because I put my glasses on every day a couple of times and take them off. I know what they feel like. I know their texture. I know their shape. And therefore, I can recognize them. Luke writes here and he says, God intended for the nations of the earth to feel their way towards God. You see, when God created us and He put His image inside of us, there's something in us that feels like God, how God feels. But when we sinned, we lost, and that feeling got obscured. And so Jesus had to come and walk among the earth, and Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. And Jesus said, touch me. And Jesus touched people and Jesus walked with people and he ate with people so that the people that was alive in his time could feel what God feels like. They could be reminded that could be called forth out of them. Remember that feeling. Oh, wow, this is what God feels like. The whole of the Old Testament described to us the problem that we've lost God. We've lost our sense. We can't feel God anymore. We're not feeling our way towards him. But when Jesus came and walked among us, he said, touch me. And we started going, okay, that's the shape. Now I'm starting to remember. That's the shape I'm looking for. That's the texture that I'm looking for. That's Jesus. And then Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave because I will send you the Holy Spirit and He will reveal all things to you. So that no longer was the shape of God that I was recognizing and feeling and the, and the texture was no longer outside of me, but the Holy Spirit moved that texture inside of me. So that with the Holy Spirit every day, I can look for Jesus and I can find Him because I feel Him. I can, I can, in this dark world that's lost its light, I can feel and say, there's Jesus. I've got Him. Because I have an internal witness that reminds me of the texture. But not only does He remind me of the texture of Jesus, is He reproduces in me that texture again. So that when I touch other people, they can say, wow. Is that what Jesus feels like? Because that texture and that shape 
is what I was made originally to carry. And through the power of Jesus, He's restoring that in my life. That nations can feel their way towards God because God is now alive and can be felt amongst them. That is what it means to glorify God. We, our tagline for this, our sort of subheading for this series is be ready for, to, to, for, the, for, be ready for God's glory on display in your everyday life. See, that's what we, how we experience God's glory. Every day when you and I go and we make the invisible God known and we make Him visible, we glorify Him, we bring His glory into the earth, people can touch Him and feel Him and say, wow, that's what God feels like. That's what He feels like. You see, as Christians and perhaps particularly charismatic Christians, we've, I think we've sometimes gotten ourselves in trouble because we look for glory only on a Sunday morning in church. When we pray, and, and, and even if we say to the church, be ready for God's glory, I think most of our minds go to what happens on a Sunday morning. And we come here, and we look, and we look. And, and perhaps some of you have been saying, yes, you know, it's, been, it's like June, end of June now, and we've been speaking about being ready for God's glory. Where's this glory that we're talking about? When is the glory going to descend? The clouds, and the gold teeth, and the whatever it is that you may have experienced. And we say, where's the glory? But let me tell you, may we have God's glory among us. And I'll tell you why now that's very important. But God's glory happening here doesn't change anything if God's glory doesn't happen there. If tomorrow when you are living with people, they can't feel the texture of Jesus on you, then our world will stay the same. That's what we're talking about when we're saying get ready for God's glory in your everyday life. And that's why our relationships are so important, because it's in those that God's glory gets established when we make the invisible qualities of God known, and we actually make them become visible. So as human beings, as stewards of this, we have been given this tremendous privilege to be the ones that walk around on this earth as children of God. And remind people of what Jesus feels like. Now Luke writes to us here and he says to us in, in the last verse there in verse 29. He, he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. What he's almost saying, if I, if I put it in context of what I'm saying, I think he's saying when you're feeling in the dark and you're feeling for God, and when you feel something hard and cold, that's not God. When you feel something made by human hands, something that's been reduced to look more like us than what it does to something that's beyond us, then, then you're feeling, and that what you're feeling is not God. But when you start feeling, and you feel something that makes you feel like a child in a home, you're starting to feel something of who God is. We are His offspring. So that's why when, when they came to Jesus and the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to speak to our God. Teach us how to, how to communicate, how to interact with this God that we say is our God. Jesus in Matthew 6 said, pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven. When you're feeling for God, feel for a Father. 
So that's why he allowed us to have fatherhood on earth. So that hopefully, that if I'm a good father towards my children, they would start getting a sense of what God feels like through the way I represent him. Now I get it wrong. A lot of the time. But by God's grace and His miracle working power, somehow He still gets it right that through my brokenness, He can remind my children and stir within them that which is buried deep inside of them, the knowledge of what God really feels like. And when I love them, then they go, wow, that's what what a father feels like. And so next time they connect with God and there's a similarity there, they go, well, that's, I know now what to feel for when I'm feeling in the dark. I can recognize this shape. I can recognize this texture. You see, because when God made this heaven and the earth, He made it as a family thing. God owns as a father, not as a boss. Not as a general of an army, but as a father owns. That's how God, how God owns. His ownership is everything to do with the fact that He's the father of us all. Is it different how a father owns than how a boss owns? You see, as a father, I know everything I have, our house, everything, is actually I'm the custodian of it, not only for God, but I'm busy passing it on to my children. Everything I have, I'm giving to them. It doesn't belong to me. There'll come a day when even my earthly possessions will be divided and given to them. And hopefully I've left them, I've produced more than what I consumed, and so that there would be something that they could say, my father managed life well, and he gave us. Even if it's not material things, perhaps I can't leave them anything materially behind, but I can leave them a value system. I can leave them a knowledge of who God is. I could have been a good custodian of life, and they could have imparted to them something. Because that's what we do as stewards, but God is a steward and an owner of everything because he's a father first. And it's when we understand all of this that we, that is why we can understand why the New Te- Old Testament ends with these two verses. The last sentence of the Old Testament. The Old Testament being this long history of, a, of about 2,000 years, a little bit more than that, of man's struggle to identify God to get to know God again, of God trying to make himself known to Israel and through Israel to the world and the world struggling to recognize God and the law trying to evoke something of it, but it's not able to. And then the book of Malachi is written by a minor prophet called Malachi. And the whole idea of the book of Malachi was to put to words the struggle that God had with the nation of Israel as their father, as the one that loves them, that sometimes they would love him back and a lot of the times they won't. And how there was this contention with them and how God struggled with them them. And the whole of that story ends with these words in Malachi 4 verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers. This translation that I read puts it a little different. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. God is saying, this earth, this planet, if this struggle continues that I've been putting into words in the Old Testament, 
If this path continues, the end of it is a terrible day, and it's a day of destruction. But I'm going to do something that will change the course of human futures, and I'm going to do something that will change the possibility, the antidote that I'm going to put before you that will stop the destruction is relational restoration. I will restore you. And he puts it in the words that is very familiar to us of parents and children. And he starts at that most closest point to us where we feel the division often so keenly is in our own families. But it's not about only our own families. This is language in Hebrew that he uses to describe all separation in mankind. Not only is it the separation between fathers and sons, but the separation between husbands and wives. The separation according to classes, the separation according to races, the separation according to economic standing, the separation according to language, the separation according to economic standing, all separations, he says, if we continue on with this story of human separation and selfishness and human ownership that divides, then the end of this will be destruction. But I'm going to do something that will change all of that. And in Jesus' coming, the, Elijah represented John the Baptist that would prepare the way for Christ. But in the, in the Spirit of God that is going to be restored, His image be rekindled in us, there will be a coming together of all people again. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 about the ministry of reconciliation. And we have been given this ministry. And on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus left, and the Holy Spirit was poured out, and suddenly every language and tongue heard the message of God, saying, you are one family. And I've spoken about this before. And God says, come back together in me. You see, it's not possible. People on this earth cannot be united unless we do it within the understanding that we are all made in the image of God. That's the only thing that brings us all together. That has the strength that when we humble ourselves and say, Lord, it's not about us, it's about you. But like I said earlier, our problem is we've taken ownership. So I own myself. Then I own my family. I even own my wife or my husband. We own them. We own our families. We own our language. We own our culture. We own our race. We own our city. We own our nation. It's ours. It's mine. And we draw our identity from all of those things because it belongs to us. And it becomes so important to us that it's mine. And if anybody threatens it, if everybody's going to take away from me something that is mine, whether it's my language, my culture, my gender, my financial situation, everything, it's mine. It makes me who I am. So therefore, anybody that threatens that, I'm going to stand up against. And I'm going to be the opposite of what God called us to be in representing Him. And this is the story of the human race. And because of that selfishness, that self-focus, that self-referential nature that we now have, we are tearing this planet apart. We're tearing each other apart. And, and as the Scripture says, in, and, and God planned that some nations would rise and some would fall. And this is the story of human history. Then it's the turn of this group, and then they dominate, and they've got all the resources, and they've got all the wealth, and the other ones are struggling. And then these ones rise up, and uh, through some revolution or something, overthrow these ones, and then these ones become the, the previous haves, and these ones become the current haves. 
And so it's the story of human history. And one, place just rep- one group just replaces the other. And in the midst of it, we destroy the planet. We draw the resources to ourselves. And we talk about our way of life and defending our way of life and standing for me and mine. And as Francis Schaeffer says, we talk about personal peace and affluence. And as long as I've gotten, mine's gotten, we're secure, then we're okay. But God said, I've come. And I will turn the hearts of people one to another. I will cross every divide. I will cross every mode of separation, everything that draws you apart and separates you and makes you not to be able to display my image. I've come and I will change that all and I will bring you together again. And I will restore my image in you. And so when I met Jesus as an individual, he moved in and he started restoring me first, back to start feeling something of what God feels. And then he started working in me so that I not only recognize my father and start feeling the way he feels, so that through that I start feeling the way life's supposed to feel. And then I become an agent of the kingdom which goes everywhere I go, and I start sharing with others, this is what it feels like. This is what it really supposed, this is what life's really supposed to feel like. It's not supposed to be so hard and unkind. It's not supposed to be so cold and so jealous. It's not supposed to be so angry. It's not supposed to be so small. But let me let, me let you feel who God is. And, and, and when they feel us, they feel how powerful our God is and how gentle He is at the same time. They feel how loving He is and how holy He is all at the same time. And this is the miracle that He does as we get to walk in the earth. And this is what Jesus said, I've come to restore This week I had a very powerful experience of just this that I'm talking about. I was in London this week for a conference. We were invited, Ben and myself and Manny from the East Church, and we left Monday night, and it was an international forum discussion on whole life discipleship, and we were asked to represent a certain context where we are as large churches, charismatic large churches, trying to figure out how do we disciple people for whole life discipleship, not that we're just in church on Sunday and that's what it means to be a disciple, but to be a disciple Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. How do we live our lives for the God? How do we make Him known everywhere we go? And we've been wrestling with that as a church, as you know, and so we were asked to go and participate in this forum discussion. There was about 60 people from four different continents, and we were just having discussions and some talks about what are we learning, where are we struggling, and it was a fantastic time. It was such a great time with see God's body come together. We have people from four continents, like I said, some American Presbyterians, Scottish Episcopalians, English Church of England people, Dutch reformers, South African charismatics, Australians. I don't know what they were doing there, but they were also there. <laughs> no, some Australian Presbyterians. And it just, it was a fantastic discussion we were having. But there was a lady at the conference who was, we were the only Africans there, people born in Africa, Ben, myself, and Manny, except for another lady. She comes from Swaziland. She's a Swazi lady. But she left Swaziland many, many, many years ago. Got married to Americans. She's now the, an administrator, if I understand correctly, of a, of, of a healthcare system in America. And she was just sharing her testimony on the first afternoon. She shared her testimony of how God is using her to build the kingdom and bring order in a very chaotic place, and how she's just helping with people. And it was fantastic just to hear her talk. And... and um, 
But somehow throughout the conference, although there's only 60 of us in a room and every, every session you were in a different group having discussions with different people, I, I, never, we never had, I never had the opportunity to connect with her, never had an opportunity to just say hello to her. On the Friday morning, I did a session at the conference, just a short session where I facilitated and I shared with them just what we're learning as a large charismatic church and what we're feeling and the, the things we're struggling with, what we try and what God is trying to teach us. And, and I just shared a little bit, just, it was about 20 minutes, it was supposed to be 15, but you know me, so it was 20 minutes. And I uh, shared for 20 minutes and uh, then sat down and we carried on with some discussions and then it was lunchtime. And so we were in a queue in this, in this church in London, uh, just off Oxford Street in the center of London and uh, standing in this queue and I found myself behind this lady, shorter lady. I said, oh, it's so fantastic. I've been wanting to meet you the whole week. And she's a fellow African. And, and as I stepped forward to her, she stepped back and fear came upon her face. And she was puzzled and suspicious. And she just stood there like this and she just looked at me. And I saw this reaction, didn't quite know what to do with it, but I just kept on <laughs> being me. So I just kept, oh, it's so nice to see you. And, you know, it's great. I hear you come from Swaziland. And, and then she relaxed a little bit and she said, you know, when you spoke, I felt something different than what I've known from white South Africans. She said, when you spoke, the whole week I've been trying to not bump into you because I'm of what I've experienced from white South Africans. But when you spoke, something stirred in me and I started feeling that this is different. And so now when you're speaking to me, I don't quite know what to do with this because I'm experiencing something that is very different to what I've used to, what I grew up with. And I immediately understood what she meant. So I said, well, can I hug you? Would it be okay? And she just hugged me and we stood there for a couple of seconds just hugging each other. And she had tears in her face. And as I pulled back, she said, wow, now I know God is real. And, and in all honesty, it's not, I mean, she was testifying about how she's making God real to other people. But in that moment, God became a little bit more real because she felt a little bit more of who God is. Not because of me. I said to her, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you've needed this moment as much as I needed it. I'm so sorry that we needed this moment together. I'm so sorry that we've all experienced the brokenness, that I was lied to and kept away from such amazing people and from friendships and relationships. And I'm so sorry for what you experienced. But can we celebrate together this moment, what God is doing, that He's saying He will turn the hearts of the white and the black towards one another. And I asked her, come and have lunch with us. And I said, my friends are at the table. She said, you said who they are earlier, but I didn't know who they are. So I said, come and have lunch with us. So we sat around the table and with other people, we were just having lunch. And one of the Australians was talking to me and asking me a question. And, and, and another person from America, I think, asked her a question. And she was sitting across from me. And, and I was speaking to the Australian, but listening to her. You know what that feels like trying to really be polite, but I'm actually, my ears are going this way. One ear is trying to hear the ear, and one ear is trying, and, and the American asked her, and he said, so what has been your greatest takeaway from this time that we've been together? And she said, this moment right now. You will not understand what it means for me to sit around this table with these guys. And um, then I paid attention to the Australian again, because, you know, I, I didn't want to be rude. 
And she kept on talking a little bit. And when the meal ended, I, I got up and I got some plates together from the people that were eating. And I leaned over and I took her plate and said, can I take your plate? And she started crying again. Like, I never thought a white South African will take my plate from me. And it became such a moment where I realized she knew God. She knew so much about who God is and felt God. And she was communicating and doing a great job of making others feel in her warm personality and her Africanness and Americanness. She was making God known to others. But in her life, there was some place where somebody that was supposed to make her feel what God feels like did a bad job. And she couldn't reconcile something. But in that moment, God came and said, I'm bigger than all of that. I'm more than all of that. And he turned. Now, I'm so privileged and distraught at the same time. And let me tell you, just can I say this? It's not only white Afrikaans people that have misrepresented God throughout history. We all do it. There's no nation, there's no tongue, there's no tribe that is above being very selfish and misrepresenting God. Because it's the human condition. It's not a racial condition. It's a human condition. But I have to... I have been given the opportunity to provide people a little bit of a different texture of who God is when I get to do that well. And every one of us, every single day, wherever we go, we have opportunities to glorify God by letting people feel what He feels like through the way we love them, through the way we treat people, through the way we make Him known. Because we've, we've gotten to feel Him. Worship team, you guys can join me. But we can let others feel Him. That's what it means to be a steward in God's kingdom. Every relationship that I have is not about me. It's about God. I am just an opportunity for somebody to feel what God feels like. And I've got to be very careful with that. Because as soon as I put the name Christian on me, particularly even when I don't put it on me, but when others put it on me, from that moment on they feel and they interpret this is what God... Now I get it wrong and sometimes I have to go say sorry to somebody. And I don't put that pressure on me because it's only by the grace of God. But I have to understand that as a steward. So let me apply it quickly and then I'm finished. We are stewards of ourselves. The first relationship that you have to steward well is your relationship with yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That word bodies doesn't mean merely physical bodies. It's the same as in Romans 12. It means my whole being. You are a temple of God. You belong to Him. Your body belongs to Him. You cannot do with your body whatever you want to do with it. You cannot do with your spirit, with your mind, with every faculty you have. You cannot do with it what you want. We live in a confused world where we've given ownership of people's bodies to people. We hate it when it comes to things like slavery because in slavery people were treated as belongings, but yet we do it with ourselves. We say, my body is mine. It belongs to me. And that opens us up to scary things. 
Because that means a, mo- a woman can say, my body is mine, so this other body that's inside of me belongs to me, and it's therefore my right to decide what I do with it. But that little body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to him. It's his body. I get an opportunity, what an amazing thing, to steward a human's life for God's purposes. It belongs to him. My sexuality belongs to him. My gender belongs to him. It all belongs to him. My significant relationships belong to him. The Bible talks a lot about marriage, and I want to talk about that for a moment, but I think it has a little bit broader context. But let me say this. The Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 4, A wife belongs to her husband instead of to herself, and a husband belongs to his wife instead of to himself. You see, marriage is a a covenant where two people understand stewardship and where they say, this marriage is not about my happiness, it is about our happiness that brings glory to God. And actually, I'm in a position where what I have, even my body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. Now, in a worldly context, that makes no sense, because if you remove stewardship and covenant from it, it feels like a trap and it feels like a place of abuse. But when you understand that my wife is not mine, Long before she met me, she was God's daughter. And long after she's going to be finished with me on this earth, she'll be God's daughter again. I get an opportunity to steward her as she does with me. And when we steward each other, there's a glory of God that we experience in our marriage. That you can experience nowhere else. It is confined within the covenant of marriage that God said. And he writes in Ephesians and he says, if you look at a husband and wife, you see something of how Jesus loves the church. Because there's a covenant there. I'm not my own. What a joy I have to love Natasha and to be a steward. So that she can feel a little bit more of what God feels like. And I get to feel a lot of what God feels like because of her. My family belongs to God, not to me. This is a scary thought for us in a Western world. I think we're in danger of idolizing family. We put it higher than God. We put our families before we put God. We say it's, but we actually have come to a place where I own my family and God manages my family. But my family belongs to God. It is only when you understand that, that the words of Jesus, where he said this in Matthew 19 verse 29 can make any sense. And everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That Jesus actually asks of us to leave our families. Now that doesn't mean we don't love and care for our families, but it just means that he's first. What a joy I have as a father of my family to steward my family because they belong to him, not to me. They're not to be the bearers of my image. They're the bearers of his image. They're not about carrying my name forward. They're not about securing my future. They're not about securing my people or me in any way. They're about God. And if I can love them with all of my heart so that they can recognize the texture of God, as I spoke earlier, that my boys will someday say, I know what God feels like. Perhaps, hopefully, they can already say it. They can say, I know God is better than my dad, because, but I've, got some, I've got, been given some shape and some texture as to who God is. So that they can follow God and do what they need to do in life. But I've given a time where I can steward them, but they belong to Him. As I belong to Him, I don't belong to them. And while we love one another because we're great stewards, 
We keep that right. And then the last one is all relationships belong to Him. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The foundation for morality in God is love God first. Love yourself as He loves you. And then make that love known to others. Get to know His texture. Be redefined by His texture and then give that texture to others. Let them feel their way to God. This is our great privilege. And tomorrow, you may be in a coffee shop or in a bus or in a little spaza shop or in an office or in your home or in a gym. But every moment of every day when there's somebody else in a location with you, you have an opportunity to see the glory of God come. To make Him known by how you get them to feel. A lot of the times we don't have the opportunity to explain, but just by a smile, by just by a, a look in our eyes, we can make something known of who God is. That means sometimes we get opportunities to talk. Sometimes we get to journey. But whether it's a second, a year, a lifetime when you journey with somebody, every moment belongs to God. Church is not what happens on a Sunday only. It is when we take what we feel here and we take it out. And we share that texture. And that's what worship is. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to end with a song of worship. You know, because when we come together to worship, and the whole service is worship, not just the music. The Word, what all of this does on a Sunday morning is supposed to remind us what God feels like. So that we can take Him out with us. It's very important that we do this because we need reminders all the time. Because during the week you feel a lot of other things. And it gets, is this God or is it not God? But when we come together, we can talk. We can share with each other. Is this what God feels like? And the Scriptures we dwell in. Because the Scriptures is this amazing thing where the Scripture says, and you will taste and see that the Lord is good. It's through the Scripture empowered by the Holy Spirit in a community that we get a sense of what God feels like. And when we worship through song, what happens is somebody else wrote a song because they felt God. And we get to use that now to develop our feeling for who God is, our sensitivity. So that's why I want to end in a worship song. As we end in this song, as we sing together, I'm going to ask if you need prayer this morning. If you've not met Jesus, if you've not felt the greatest feeling in the universe, and I'm not talking about emotions, I'm talking about who He is. Please come this morning that we can pray for you. That we can just say this is who Jesus is. And you can go on a journey of finding Him and feeling Him in all of your life. If perhaps you're here and you've said, I've, I realize what I thought was God is not Him. Come, let us pray with you. If you're struggling in some area of your life and it's trying to draw you away and you're starting to think God doesn't feel so good anymore. He feels hard. And unkind, then come and let us pray with you and say, God is with you. And it's sometimes in our greatest struggles that we feel Him the best. Because we're so much more aware. So let us pray with you this morning. But can I ask you, I know we're over time. But let's raise our hands. Let's raise our lives to the Lord Jesus this morning. And let's feel Him for a moment. We've been feeling Him when Karis sang that song and I've heard many stories told, but I 
have felt Him. Lord, I thank You that You have made known to us what You feel like. So that when we feel slavery, when we feel the harshness of a broken world, we can know that that is not what is real. That is not what is is eternal. That is not how things are supposed to be. But that we've got something else that we can hold on to and say, but my God feels powerful and truthful and kind and gentle and real. And I feel Him with me. So that when we feel all these other things, we can both know what is true, but we can also then go And take to others that they may feel what you feel like. That they can have a contrast. That they can not have to just live by the feelings of this world and how this world makes them feel. But can actually discover that there's something more real and more truthful. And I pray for each of us that tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, wherever we go. That by your grace and the power of your spirit you will enable us. To be good stewards of our relationships. Why don't you give all your relationships to the Lord this morning? Just right now, if you don't mind, just hold up a hand or two and just say, here's all my relationships, Lord. They're not about me. It's not about my happiness. It's not about me, Lord. You said, seek first your kingdom. Then you'll take care of everything that's my needs. And I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I believe you that if you say you're going to take care of me, you're going to do it. Therefore, I can give ownership to you, Lord. Belongs to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way with us. If you need prayer this morning, if you want us to pray with you, come and just let's pray. Our team, our elders, our pastors, our prayer team will be here. Come and just feel the love of God. Not because we're perfect, not because we have it all, but that's the miracle that God does. You are made in His image. And can I commission you this morning to go. Go as stewards of the image of God and go and represent Him and go and make this world know that He is a good, good God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.